before we get started, I need you to do me one favor. Pull out your phone and text this number, 501-214-4307. I just want to text you a couple of times a week, send you some fun messages, videos, just to encourage you on your unconventional journey. Again, all you got to do is text 501-214-4307. I just want to be your friend, y'all. Just text me. The difference between a novice creative and a professional creative is that a professional creative doesn't leave productivity to chance. They don't leave creativity to chance. They make time to do the work. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. I've always felt in my spirit. I was born with several palsy. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. Do you get distracted? Have you ever set out to do a project and you're like, do, 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 hello, Facebook, hello, TikTok, hello, Instagram, hello, dinging. Listen, we all deal with it. And it's not easy building a ton of discipline around how to stay focused on our work and actually make progress in our goals when there's so many things pulling at us. One of the things that I've struggled with so much in this conversation is it's normally demonizing technology. And hey, y'all, listen, technology is not going to go anywhere. In fact, it's a powerful tool that can help us unconventional leaders spread our messages, build the kind of platforms that we want to build. And dude, I'm so excited to have an incredible guest with us near AL who actually wrote a book about this. He wrote a book about how to not be distracted in the midst of technology and not demonizing it and actually using it and being a proponent of it. What is up, Friends, if this is your first time listening, my name is Heather Parody. I am your host. Today we have Nir Eyal with us. He writes, consults, and teaches about the interaction of psychology, technology, and business. He previously taught at Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He co-founded and sold two tech companies. He's the author of two best-selling books, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Emphasis added. <laughs> in addition to blogging at nearandfar.com, his writing has been featured in New York Times, Harvard Business Review, Time Management, and Psychology to Day. Speaking of today, you know what we talked about? We talked about what is distraction? How does it trick us? Why do we try to escape discomfort? How can we actually use discomfort as a tool? And we also had a lot of conversation about being a creative and making space for creative work by building a system to do it. I've learned so much from him. Make sure you check out his work nearandfar.com that is linked in the show notes and pick up this book, Indestructible, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Last thing, listen, come here, come here. Hey, come here, listen. If you have a friend who gets distracted, you don't have to you don't have to call them out on it. You don't have to be like, listen, I know you're ADD. You, you, you just, you know who I'm talking about. You got a friend who's always distracted and complains about it, but really, really has a lot of big goals. Take a screenshot of this episode, send it in a DM. And if you're feeling extra perky today, 
You can drop that in Instagram stories. Tag me and Nier. I'd love to know what you think about this. All right, y'all, let's go ahead and get into this. How to use technology without being distracted with Nier y'all. So unconventional leaders. I was thinking about how unconventional your journey has been and your philosophy in general, because this book, if I were to just judge it by its cover and just what it's about, it's this idea of how do we not get distracted with all the things around us, technology and all of the things. And so my judgment would be like, oh, well, he is demonizing technology. But yeah. then you dig into your work and you're actually a proponent. Like you, you, you teach people <laughs> how to use technology and you say, it's not technology's fault, which is so yeah. interesting because there's two camps, you know, and you're in the middle right here. Uh, can you share a little bit about your philosophy around just overall technology and how it's not really at fault for our distraction? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's, that's a really great summary that I, I really wanted to give people a tech positive, empowering approach because you know, another book from a professor in some ivory tower who doesn't even have a social media account telling us that we should stop checking Facebook is really not helpful, people. Like, we need these tools. Many of us, our livelihoods depend on it. There are wonderful ways to get our message out there, to connect with loved ones, uh, to, to, uh, to, to share and connect. I mean, there's so many relationships in, our, in my life that I would not have or I would have lost were it not for these wonderful technologies. But of course, sometimes we find that these technologies can be distracting to what we want to do with our time in our life. And so I really wanted to write the kind of book that I was looking for because this was a very personal journey. I, I myself found myself getting distracted uh, in a way that I didn't like. And I, I remember there was one really, you know, like a turning point moment for me in my life where I was with my daughter one afternoon. Uh, we had a, a few hours planned just together, just some daddy-daughter time. And uh, we had this activity book of different things that daddies and daughters could do together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said. Because in that moment, I thought it was a good time to just let me check my phone for one quick sec here. And by the time I looked up for my screen, she had gotten the message that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And she left the room. And she started to play with some toy outside. And I realized that I'd blown it. I've totally blown this perfect moment. And that's when I decided that I had to reassess my relationship with distraction. Because if I'm honest with you, Heather, it wasn't just with my daughter. It would happen when I was at work and I would say, oh, I'm going to work on that big project. I got to get this thing done this morning. I'm not going to get distracted. But yet here I go, I'm doing this email thing or I'm checking this or I'm looking at that 30, 45 minutes later, I'm still not doing the thing that I said I would do. Or I would say to myself, I'm definitely going to go work out, but I didn't. Or I'm going to eat healthfully, but I wouldn't. And so this wasn't just about technology. It was about all different kinds of distractions that I had in my life because you know, if you asked me today what superpower I would most want, I would tell you it's the power to be indistractable. Because these days, we all basically know what to do, right? Who doesn't know how to get in shape? Who doesn't know how to be better at their job? You got to do the work. We already know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, Google it. It's all there, right? We have no excuse to say we don't know what to do. We are drowning in information. There is no shortage of information. There is a shortage of our ability to manage our attention. And so there is no facet in your life that is not affected 
by your ability to control your attention and therefore choose your life. And so that's really the power I wanted. And that's why I started this five years of research to really understand the deeper reasons so that we stop blaming you know, these proximal causes like technology, like the modern world these days, you know, that doesn't help anybody to just complain about these things. I wanted to understand the deeper reasons for distraction so that we can finally overcome it and become indistractable. I know. And then your conclusion is, makes me so uncomfortable that we are, we are avoiding a deeper discomfort. Like there's something else deeper there. And when I read that, I was like, Oh God, he just went to the heart of all this. Like, God, I started sweating and feeling kind of guilty and everything. Tell us a little bit about that. What are we avoiding? Yeah, yeah. So let's let's start with understanding what is distraction because I know I keep talking, uh, uh, tossing around this term, but it's really important to understand is distraction. So the opposite, the best way to understand what distraction is is to understand what is the opposite of distraction. The opposite of distraction, most people will say, is focus, but that's not true. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That, in fact, both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice that both words, traction and distraction, end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. Mm -hmm. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent, things that are in accordance with your values and help you become the person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction, any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, which is the things that are not what you do with intent, that pull you away from your values and the person you want to become. So this is a really important distinction because any action, any action can be either traction or distraction based on one word. And that one word is forethought. Let me prove it to you. How many times have we sat down at our desk and we say, okay, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm going to do that big thing I've been putting off. I know it needs to get done. Now I'm going to do it. Here I go. I'm going to get started right now. But first, let me just check some email, right? Let me just do that one thing on my to-do list that's kind of easy, that feels good. Let me just do that real quick, right? And what we don't realize is that that is the most dangerous, most pernicious form of distraction, the distractions that trick us into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. Mm -hmm. That is the most dangerous form of distraction. It's not Facebook. It's not Twitter. It's the thing you don't even realize is distracting you because you're making an excuse saying, oh, that's kind of a work-related task, right? I kind of got to do that anyway. Let me just do it now, as opposed to doing the thing I really said I was going to do. And conversely, just like anything can be a distraction, anything can be traction. So yeah, like we said earlier, there's nothing wrong with checking Facebook. There's nothing wrong with enjoying Instagram. There's nothing wrong with listening to a good podcast or uh, whatever it is you want to do, watch a Netflix show, play video games. You can do any of that stuff as long as you do it with forethought. The time you plan to waste is not wasted time. So anything that you plan to do is instantly traction. Anything that is not that is a distraction. So now we have this model, right? We have to the right, we have traction. To the left, we have distraction. Now, what prompts us to take these actions? Well, what prompts us towards traction or distraction? We have what we call triggers, and there are two types of triggers. We have external triggers. External triggers, this is the usual suspects, right? These are the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things in our outside environment 
that move us towards traction or distraction. That's what we tend to blame, right? The phone ringing, this and that. Turns out, however, what I discovered in my five years of research, that as much as we like to blame those things outside of ourselves, that is not the leading cause of distraction. The leading cause of distraction is not what is happening outside of us, but rather what is happening within us. The leading cause of distraction, here it comes, the icky sticky truth is that most distraction is prompted not by the external triggers, but by the internal triggers. What are internal triggers? Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. Because if we are to understand why do we get distracted, we have to understand why do we do anything and everything. What is the nature of human motivation? Most people think it's about carrots and sticks, right? We've all heard this in some form, that we, we do things in the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. But that is actually not true. That neurologically speaking, we do not do things in the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. We do things for only one reason. And that one reason is the desire to escape discomfort. That's it. Everything you do, even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations, think about it, wanting, craving, desire, lusting, all of these things, wanting something, even the desire to feel good, desire itself is psychologically destabilizing. It is an uncomfortable emotional state that causes us to act. So this makes perfect common sense when we think about it physiologically, right? This is called the homeostatic response. If you go outside, for example, and it's cold, The brain says, oh, this is uncomfortable. You should put on a coat. If you walk back inside, now it's too hot. The brain says, oh, this doesn't feel good. Take your coat off. If you are hungry, you feel hunger pangs, so you eat. And if you eat too much, oh, now I feel stuffed, you stop eating. So those are physiological reactions to uncomfortable states. The same principle holds true to our psychological states. So when you're lonely, check Facebook. When you're uncertain, Google. When you're bored, oh, lots of solutions to boredom, right? Netflix and YouTube and Reddit and Pinterest and sports scores and stock prices. It's endless, right? But it's all because of these uncomfortable emotional states. So whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, when we look for escape from this discomfort, it's always because of an internal trigger. So when we get distracted, when we procrastinate, There's nothing wrong with you. It's not a moral failing. It's just that we don't have the tools and the habits to escape discomfort in a healthier manner. So what this means, what it all boils down to, is that time management is pain management. Mm. Time management is pain management. That if you don't understand that fundamental internal trigger that you are looking to escape from, you are always going to be distracted by one thing or another. Mm. Now, you said distractions will always exist. It is our job to manage them. And often we think that means deleting all of our apps. That's how we're going to do it. What is your suggestion? You're saying that we can be undistracted and have all of this stimulus around us. How do we manage it? Yeah, so this is really where the four steps of becoming indistractable come into play. So there are four big strategies that you know, this was the hardest part of writing this book over the past five years. There's so much great research out there, but I really wanted to boil it down to like what really, really matters, just the four fundamental elements. That was the hardest part. So step number one is what we talked about earlier. It's about mastering the internal triggers. Because look, if there's stuff boiling up inside of you 
that you don't have an outlet for or you don't know how to deal with in a healthier manner, you're going to look for escape from it, right? And mm-hmm. part of it also, I have to rag on the self-help industry a bit here, is that we've been sold this, this, this lie that, uh, that feeling bad is bad. And that's not true right? That we can use discomfort. We can use boredom and anxiety and stress and loneliness to drive us forward like rocket fuel towards traction rather than distraction, rather than when we feel any of these uncomfortable states, especially for creative people, right? Part of being creative is the struggle, right? It's about harnessing your life experience towards the traction to create output, to share with the world rather than escaping that discomfort by, well, let me just check my phone real quick or let me just yeah. have a drink real quick or let me eat something real quick to take my mind off of that sensation. So that's step one. We have to master the internal triggers and it's not that hard. You don't have to go to see a psychotherapist. Most people don't. The vast majority of people just need to learn some of these tactics to handle discomfort in a healthier way. The second step is to make time for traction. And this is probably the best piece of advice I can give creatives because many novice creatives, the difference between a novice creative and a professional creative is that a professional creative doesn't leave productivity to chance. They don't leave creativity to chance. They make time to do the work. You know, professional creatives, they, they make the time, right? And so this is, this is such an important point. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So I hear from so many people, uh, especially creatives, who say, you know, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that and I didn't get it done because you see my boss, he wanted this and my kids wanted that and my spouse asked for this and did you see what happened in the news today and what, oh my gosh, did you see what happened on Twitter? I just can't get anything done. But then you say, well, what did you plan to do with your time, mm-hmm. right? What, how did you plan to spend your day? Oh my gosh, look at my to-do list. I have so many things here on my to-do list. No, 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 that wasn't the question. The question was, how did you plan to spend your time? I want to see your calendar, not your to-do list. Oh, my calendar? There's nothing on my calendar, right? Oh, a dentist yeah. appointment maybe. Yeah. So if you don't plan That's your true. day, somebody's going to plan it for you. And I mean down to the minute. And I know a lot of creative people say, oh, I don't want to do that. That's so constricting. I need time for spontaneity. I need time to be creative. That's not a professional attitude. A professional attitude, a professional understands that to do the work, you put your butt in the seat and you are there for inspiration to strike. Inspiration only strikes when you're in your seat, as, as uh, Stephen Pressfield says. And so it's about scheduling your day and synchronizing your schedule to allow you to have that time in your day for what we call reflective work. There are two types of work. We have reactive work, and I understand everybody's day has to involve some level of reactive work, reacting to emails, reacting to Slack Mm. notifications, reacting to phone calls. That's part of our job. I get it. But you have to also give yourself time to think. You know, when I give presentations, I'll ask people, you know, who in this audience needs to think for their job. How many of you need to think? Well, everybody's hand goes up. Everybody needs time to think. And then I say, well, how many of you schedule that time to think? Almost nobody does. Mm -hmm. If you want a huge competitive advantage out there, make time to think, make time to reflect and protect that time. The same way you would protect money, for example. You know, there's a reason we call it paying attention. We pay attention, just like we pay with dollars and cents. 
And if somebody came up to you and said, hey, give me a hundred bucks, would you say, oh, sure, here you go. Here's all my money. Let me pay you all my money. No, you'd be judicious about how you handed out money. And yet when it comes to our time, the only thing that everybody on earth, I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, you can have lots and lots of money, but you get the same 24 hours. And yet somehow we pay attention to whoever wants it. Sure, take my time, take my attention, take as much of it as you want. So if you don't plan your day, somebody else will. And so that's why we have to make time for the traction in our day by planning out every minute of our day, not just for the worky stuff, but also for our other values. So planning time to uh, be with our family, to pray, to meditate, to do whatever helps you live according to your values. The third step is about hacking back the external triggers. This is where we uh, do all those things like you know turning off notification settings. That's the kindergarten stuff. What I really wanted to help people do was to deal with the, the harder things, right? Like meeting. Oh my goodness, how much time do we waste mm. with stupid meetings, right? Or dumb emails that we keep getting bombarded with. What do we do about all that? Or our kids. You know, many of us have to work from home right now. Our kids can be external triggers. They can distract us. What do we do about that? So I show you systematically, step by step by step, how to deal with all those external triggers. And then the last step is the firewall, is the last resort. After we've done the other three steps, the last step is about preventing distraction with pacts. And this is where we make a promise with ourselves or with someone else to make sure that as the last line of defense to prevent us from getting distracted, we have these what we call a pre-commitment in place to make sure that we don't go off track. And so when we use these four fundamental strategies of mastering the internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back external triggers and preventing distraction with packs, that's all you need. That's the strategy. Everything else is tactics. If you can master the strategies and, and, and memorize those four steps so that whenever you get distracted, you know why you got distracted and you do something about it, this is how you become indistractable. Mm. So I just want to ask, we have uh, a lot of digital entrepreneurs, people who are building brands using tools like social media. And so a gray line is like, oh, I'm working by, you know, networking and blah, 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 and all this stuff when really it is a distraction and we're not actually being productive in it. Is there like uh, rituals, things that we can kind of get into a, a zone mentally? So we go into this kind of a distracting field or what could be distracting, but still stay incredibly focused in it. Like, let's say you're, you know, on a social media platform and you're having to post different stuff or, or whatever without, you mm -hmm. know, getting side track? Is there a ritual, something we can do to narrow in our focus? Sure. So one thing we can do, so I'll, I'll go through two of the, of the four strategies that I think could be particularly effective. One thing we can do is to hack back these tools. So uh, I use the term hack because, uh, you know, to hack means to gain unauthorized access to something. So a computer hacker ha would hack into a bank account to get the funds out, right? And we know that that social media companies, uh, you know, traditional media companies, whether it's the New York Times or Fox News or well, whoever, they're all hacking your attention. They're all in the same business, right? They all want to uh, monetize your attention to advertisers. Does anybody not know that? We all know that. But that doesn't mean we're powerless. We can hack back their their tools. So for example, I love Facebook. Facebook's great. But who says I have to use Facebook the way that Zuckerberg designed it? I have a Chrome extension called Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator. It's completely free. Anybody can go get it. It's awesome. Why? Because I know that that newsfeed is designed to waste my time. I don't need to see that crap. So every time I go to Facebook, I don't want to see the feed. I have instead Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator 
puts in this nice little inspirational quote. But if I want to see how Heather is doing, great. I can check up on Heather uh, on Facebook. I just go to Heather's page, right? So these we can use these type of tactics to hack the technology. And guess what? Zuckerberg can't do anything about it. He can't go into my computer and change it, right? So we can hack back the technology. Another thing we can do is use what's called time boxing, where we say to ourselves, okay, we have a very specific thing that we are going to do, and we only give ourselves a certain amount of time to do it. And so I recommend that your entire day is time box between your work tasks, your, uh, uh, your relationships, your personal development time, your whole day should be planned out. Because again, that's the difference between traction and distraction. Traction is whatever you say you're going to do. Distraction is everything else, right? Mm -hmm. So what we want to do, so for example, if you say, okay, you know, part of my job is that I got to go on social media and I want to respond to my fans or I want to, you know, leave comments or I want to do a post of the day. No problem. That's in your calendar. That is what you are going to do. Now, maybe at, uh, you know, after work. So for example, in my life, uh, after dinner, I have an hour of social media time. That's what I want to do. I want to putz around and see how my friends are doing. That's totally fine. I took a distraction and I turned it into traction. And so this is really great for two reasons. One, uh, I know that time is held there, so I don't have to do it throughout my day. And I don't have to stress about when am I going to get a chance to do it. I really want to go on Facebook. Oh, I, I remember. It's in my calendar, actually. Every night after dinner, that's my time. It's on my calendar. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm not even worried about when am I going to find the time. I know it's coming in my schedule. Yeah. There's also this other fascinating concept that you presented about this idea of fun and play and some of the stuff that we're avoiding doing, like these harder tasks, these difficult things, how you can kind of actually flip the script on that and find like the challenge within it. Uh, can you share yeah. a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So in that first critical step of mastering the internal triggers, there are a few things that we can do. We can reimagine the trigger. We can see that, uh, that uncomfortable emotional state differently. We can reimagine our temperament, meaning we can see ourselves differently. And the technique you alluded to is about reimagining the task. We can see mm -hmm. the work differently. And so there's, there's some really bad advice out there that we've all heard, uh, which is, is the Mary Poppins method. The Mary Poppins method, we've all heard it, it's add a spoonful of sugar, right? If you don't want to do something, give yourself a reward when you finish it, right? That'll work. No, it actually really doesn't. Man. It's good actually for, I know, right? Darn it. It's great for one-time behaviors. What the science shows us is that if it's a behavior you never have to do again, no problem. You can give yourself a little treat and you'll do it. But if it's something you have to do time and time again, you start to only do it for the reward. It's called an extrinsic motivator as opposed to an intrinsic motivator. So if part of your job, and look, many of our jobs have parts of the job that sucks, right? Like I, I'm an author, but you know what? I also got to keep my books, right? Like I hate it, but I got to do it. And so what we want to do is to find ways to reimagine the task. How can we see it differently? Not by adding a spoonful of sugar that we get a reward after it's done, but instead, how do we find the intrinsic motivation in the task? How could we find the fun in a task? This is what Ian Bogos, who I interviewed for the book, he's a professor at Georgia Tech, he calls this playing anything. Now, the, the, the crazy advice that he says is that fun and play do not have to be enjoyable. You don't have to enjoy play. It just has to refocus your attention. That's all it has to do. So how do you learn how to play something? Well, we look at people who are obsessed 
with crazy things that don't look like play, right? So think about, you know, your friend. I have a friend who is crazy about cars, right? He's constantly tuning his cars. He's constantly playing around with it. If you said, I had to do this, I would say, I'm not a mechanic. Like, if you want me to learn how to fix cars, you got to pay me. I'm not going to do that for free. He does it with joy. He, he pays for the privilege of fixing cars. I have another friend who loves to crochet, right? She loves it. it you know, to me, if you said, hey, I need you to crochet a, a sock, I'd say, are you kidding me? How much are you going to pay me? No way I would do that. that. That doesn't look like fun at all. But for her, it's fun. I have another friend who is crazy about coffee right? He will talk your ear off for hours about, you know, Arabica beans and this kind of thing and espresso this. And I just, it, you know, he's crazy about it. If you ask me to make a cup of coffee, it's okay. Well, how much does the barista job pay? Well, we all know these people. What is it about these special skills that they have to learn how to enjoy a task that we find to be drudgery? Two things. Bogos tells us that we can learn to play anything by one focusing more intently on the task and adding constraints to the task. So those are the two things we have to do. When we focus more intensely, as opposed to trying to escape it with distraction, if you can focus in on it, how do we do that? We look for the variability. We look for what's different. We look for the nuances. We look for the surprise. And we let that surprise drive our curiosity. And there's a wonderful quote that says, the, the solution for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity. I right? underlined that. I loved that. Isn't that a good one? I love that, right? Because we can look for the variability to drive our curiosity, and that's what gets us engaged. And then the other is to add a constraint. And this is a secret, I think, of creativity that many creative people think, oh, to be creative, I need freedom, right? I need no constraints. And it's actually the exact opposite. That studies find that the, the hardest part of being creative, uh, if you ask an author, it's the blank page. The worst part of being a visual artist is the empty canvas. We need some constraints. We have some kind of constraints, either a time constraint, uh, a materials constraint, something that, that defines the parameters of our project. That actually, it's like a sandbox. Sandboxes are fun because they are constrained. And so that's what we need to add to find the fun and therefore uh, uh, the, the, uh, decreases the internal triggers that can lead us towards distraction. Thank you so much for, we have another question, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your work in creating this and also uh, creating this space to say that, you know, it's not technology's fault because as somebody who uses technology within our business and this podcast and all that, I was like, thank God, because I have to use this stuff. <laughs> Um, where can people grab this incredible book? I know you have a couple of them uh, and just connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So my website, so first of all, the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. It's available on Audible, on Amazon, your local bookseller, wherever books are sold. Uh, and if you want to connect with me, my website is nearandfar.com, but near is spelt like my first name, N-I-R. So N-I-R and far.com. And I want to let you know, if you go to nearandfar.com, there is an 80 page workbook that's completely complimentary. Uh, you don't have to buy the book. It's it, we actually couldn't fit it into the, the final edition of the book. But it's basically a workbook that helps guide you on the path to becoming indistractable. And that's available at nearandfar.com. Wonderful. All of that will be linked in the show notes. 
Very last question. Um, I'm yes. so grateful you shared that story about uh, your daughter and being distracted because that's happened to me too before where I'm having mommy put your phone down and you just feel like, oh, I'm the worst parent in the world. <laughs> um, I think we can all relate to that. I was wondering if you were to go back you know, just a few years ago when you had that experience uh, before all this research and the things that you found out and sit with, sit with Nat Near and tell him one thing that you understand now that he did not understand back then. And it could be about anything, not just yeah. this concept of distraction. If you were to sit with him for a moment and tell him one thing, what would that be? Yeah. So I think, I think if I were to summarize what I've learned over the past five years, it would be this mantra that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Mm. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That when we go off track, when we get distracted, when we do things that are against our best interests, and we know we're not doing what we should do, it's an impulsivity problem. It's not a character flaw. It doesn't mean you're a terrible mommy or daddy. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you. It just means that you didn't plan ahead. What many people think is that, ah, oh, you see, I have an addictive personality. No, you don't. Oh, I have a short attention span. No, you don't. You just didn't plan ahead. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. There is nothing we can't overcome if we plan ahead. You see, this is one thing that our species has that no other animal that has ever walked the face of the earth has, that we can see the future with higher fidelity than any other creature. So if you leave it to the last minute, you're gonna lose, right? If you're, uh, if you're you know, the, that chocolate cake, if it's on the fork on its way to your mouth, you're gonna eat it. If the cigarette is lit in your hand, you're gonna smoke it. If you sleep next to your cell phone on your nightstand any, every, every night, it's gonna be the first thing you pick up in the morning before you even kiss your loved one, right? Because it's too late, you've already lost. So you don't need willpower, you don't need self-control, you need a system, you need to plan ahead. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. One of my favorite points that he made today was this idea that if you're a creative, if you're serious about your work, you're going to be professional about it. You're going to carve out time to do the work, not leave it to chance and create a system that's going to support the goals that you say that you have. A lot of times people kind of walk around with this guilt and this shame about like, oh, I should be doing this, oh, I should be doing that. Listen, we have to just be in integrity with what we say we want to do. So if you say that you want this, are our actions aligned with that? Are we walking in integrity to what our goals and our visions are? Only we know that, you know, like, are these goals there because you truly want them or you feel like you're supposed to do it? But if you can say, yes, this is what I really want, we have to walk in integrity with that and be professional about it. And hey, guys, I'm talking to myself here. It's like my own little pep talk. Listen, pick up this book. It's incredible indistractable. I loved reading it. You can pick that up at nearandfar.com. If you need additional support in your unconventional journey, people who are walking this path with you, head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leaders. I love you. I'm in your corner and I'll see you in our next episode.